The Center for Thinking Biblically is a ministry of the Masters University. Visit thinkbiblically.org for more information. How do we know about dinosaurs? That's what we're be looking at today. After all, if they really did live a long time ago, and all we find are some little bones here and there, I mean, how can we really reconstruct these things at all? How do we know anything about them? Well, I want to begin looking at maybe an unexpected place. I want to start with Augustine or Augustine of Hippo. And you know him as a church father, potentially. But did you also know that Augustine collected fossils? In City of God, he talks about how on the shores of the Mediterranean, they went and found a giant molar. And he said that it was from a giant human and that things of the past were different than today. Now, almost certainly, he did not find the molar of a giant human. We haven't found any fossils from giant humans. There were giants in the past, as the Bible tells us, but we haven't found any yet. More likely, he actually found the, the molar of a hippo or a rhino or some other animal whose fossils are very common around there. And Augustine looked at that, recognized similarity with people, but recognized it was unique and different in the past. And he isn't the only person in church history to talk about fossils. In fact, both Tertullian and Martin Luther reference fossils as evidence of Noah's flood and of the life of the past being different. That's really interesting. And it's not just in church history. When we look at even Greek and Roman history, even classical Greece, we find people talking about fossils, talking about the bones of what they called heroes or giant monsters in the ground. Sometimes they would even collect these and put them in temples as relics. That's pretty interesting. But what is it telling us? What it's telling us is that people of the past recognized that the bones in the ground were different than today, were also somehow linked to today, but that the past had a history, a natural history, and they were interested in it. Now, they might have interpreted what the creatures were incorrectly, but they were interested in the world of the past. And that continued on through the Middle Ages. But something different happened in the Middle Ages. A discussion broke out over whether fossils really were bones of ancient organisms or shells of ancient organisms, or whether they were some other kind of thing. For instance, you see there the shell of a uh, fossil mollusk called Gryphaea. But in the Middle Ages, many people called these devil's toenails um, because they thought they looked like the curved toenail of the devil. The idea was as he fell from heaven that I guess his toenails fell off and ended up in rocks. Now, it's a little bit just bizarre from our perspective, but in the Middle Ages, there were all kinds of ideas that were being shared. And one of them was that fossils were actually things that grew in the ground. Once again, that may seem strange to our modern ears. But think about for a minute how unusual fossils actually are. We find bones and shells in rocks. How did they get there? In the Middle Ages, they said you can't take a solid object and shove it inside of another solid object. That doesn't work. And I basically agree with that. So what do we do? Well, this situation was resolved by a guy named Nicholas Steno. And Steno is very important in the history of geology. Many people consider him the father of stratigraphy and even paleontology. Steno realized how fossils could get inside of what we call today sedimentary rocks. He was thinking about as a shell is sitting on the beach, you would have uh, water with sand in it, um, what he called fluids, come and cover that up. And that later, when that became buried, it could turn into a rock, and then the shell was embedded inside of a rock. Now, that perspective continued to be argued for a little bit, but eventually it won out. And we're very confident that these are the remains of ancient organisms. 
So today, what I want to cover is, what is the evidence for the existence of dinosaurs? And then secondly, is there evidence for dinosaurs coexisting with man? Well, to begin, let's look at the evidence that dinosaurs actually existed. You can see here body fossils, a skeleton of an Apatosaurus. There you go. That's the animal itself, right? At least parts of it. But that's not the only thing we find for evidence of ancient animals and plants. We can also find trace fossils, what we call ichnofossils. Okay, these are evidences that an animal or a plant was doing something in the past. We're going to focus on animals since this is about dinosaurs and begin with tracks. You can see up there, it may not be apparent to you immediately, but that's actually the footprint of a dinosaur. There are four toes sticking out, and on the backside you can see the heel and actually impressions of the scales. And you're seeing the underside of the footprint. I've actually got a 3D model of this, exact same fossil right here. Um, and so the toes are right here, and then here are the, here's the heel impression. And so this animal pushed down in the mud, and we have that underside preserved for us. An animal was walking around, and we could learn that from its tracks. We also find burrows, and animals, including dinosaurs, would dig burrows, as in this case. We've already talked about bite marks in this particular fossil, but just to illustrate again, animals sometimes bite things and leave evidence of that. We can also find eggs and even nests that dinosaurs left behind. This is a spectacular example from Mongolia of an oviraptorosaur dinosaur called Sitipati sitting on top of a nest of its own eggs. And we know that those eggs belong to this dinosaur because there's little tiny bones of oviraptorosaurs inside the eggs. And then finally, another trace fossil is the coprolite. Now, that might not be a word you're familiar with, but it's fossilized dung. Animals today and animals of the past processed their food and something came out the other end. And sometimes that's preserved as a fossil, as is this case with a duck-billed dinosaur who left behind dung filled with plant remains. So we know what they were eating. Now, something else we can do with fossils is a whole branch of science called taphonomy. This is probably not a word you've heard used a lot, but it's essentially ancient CSI or paleo-CSI. The idea with taphonomy is the study of what happens to an organism, like an animal or plant, from the moment it dies until you find it as a fossil. And there's lots of things that can happen. Of course, you can have scavenging or trampling. You can have a carcass dragged away by something or, um, or by a river or something like that. It could be buried. It could be re-exhumed and reburied again. It could also have things happen to it even after it gets into the ground. You could have diagenetic processes, fluids going through the rocks and altering the chemistry of it. You could have faults or magma come up and destroy it. Even after it's turned into a fossil, it could be destroyed by erosion or weathering or by someone who doesn't know what they're doing when they're digging it up. All of those would be processes at work in taphonomy. Now, taphonomy is really interesting because it gives us a glimpse into how things happened in the past. What you see before you there is a fossil whale skeleton. Now, I'd say that's pretty cool seeing a fossil whale skeleton, but it's cooler even than you think. Because I want to go back for a minute and look at this skeleton. This is a modern whale skeleton that sunk down to the bottom of the ocean. Obviously, the whale sinks down, and then organisms eat it up, the skeleton's left behind, and then even the skeleton is destroyed over time. So when you see a perfectly preserved whale sitting in a rock, you got to think, what's going on here? And that's where taphonomy steps in. And what's unique about these whales is not just full skeletons that are articulated, meaning all the bones are still in place, but we even find fossil baleen. Now, certain whales, like humpbacks or blue whales, have baleen in their mouths. They use it to filter feed. 
And that, when a whale dies, typically falls out of the jaws in about seven to eight days after death. So to have a perfectly preserved whale skeleton with baleen in it is telling you these whales must have been buried very rapidly. Now, what's fascinating about that is they're buried in a rock called diatomite. Now, once again, it may not mean anything to you, but diatomite is made up of diatoms, little tiny single-celled algae. Those don't accumulate very fast. They sink down to the bottom of the sea pretty slowly. So how do you bury a whale quickly with something that gets buried slowly? Doesn't seem to make any sense. Well, it turns out if you have volcanic eruptions nearby and they're putting lots of elements like iron and magnesium into the ocean, that can cause algal blooms. And that combined with dangerous air conditions could kill whales, causing them to sink. They could be buried very, very rapidly. That's really cool. And taphonomy is giving us a window into that. And so the scientists who worked on this, uh, mainly from Loma Linda University, uh, you can see up there how many whales they've discovered. And it's insane, the amount of whales out there. And so this is a really fascinating situation where paleontology, and specifically taphonomy, gives us a window into the past. Now that's telling us about rapid burial, but as we said earlier, there's a disagreement between evolutionary and creationist thought about how long ago dinosaurs existed. And so people will ask me, is there any physical evidence that dinosaurs existed recently? And in the last few decades, I can tell them, yes, because we now have evidence of soft tissue in dinosaur bones. They've been able to find blood cells, bone cells, even proteins have been found in fossilized bone. Like for instance, with these examples that Mary Schweitzer and her colleagues published in 2005 of T-Rex soft tissue and bone cells. There's been a lot of argument back and forth in the literature about this, but more and more examples continue to be found um, all through the Mesozoic. And so this is exciting because this stuff shouldn't still be here after tens of millions of years. In fact, it shouldn't even be here after a few thousand years. This is exceptional preservation, and I think it points to a young Earth. And so some people want to then ask, well, what about dinosaurs and people? If the Bible is saying that God created all the animals, including dinosaurs, during the creation week, that means dinosaurs and people must have lived at the same time. Do we have any evidence that that's the case? Well, one thing people can point to is dragon stories. But I want to be careful here. Okay, number one. I think it is really interesting that cultures all around the world have legends about giant reptilian creatures. <laughs> That's interesting, right? And so that would suggest some kind of connection with dinosaurs. But like I said, I want to be careful. What dinosaur did St. George kill? I don't know. Did St. George even kill a dragon or is that just a story that we've made up over time, right? We shouldn't automatically jump to, oh, that dragon legend is real. Legends are legends, okay? But the fact that we have legends at all, I think points to something. And so what we may be seeing is a cultural memory of dinosaurs, just like cultures all around the world have stories about a global flood. Did all of those cultures independently experience a global flood? Well, no, but they're passing down a story from something in the deep past. And so maybe that's what's going on with dinosaurs as well. And so these stories continue to get embellished and told. You even got an example here in, in Poland of um, supposed dragon bones hanging um, from the wall there. They're actually bones of Pleistocene mammals, um, but it gets people excited because they're thinking about these and these stories continue to get passed down. There's supposed examples of artwork of dinosaurs made by people, um, ancient peoples, and even these, I think we need to be really cautious. Uh, the one here, a Native American petroglyph at Natural Bridges National Monument in Utah, it does look a lot like a sauropod dinosaur. Okay, what do we do with that? Well, some secular scientists have argued that no, actually it's just chance of the staining of multiple pictures coming together because of the way things played out. 
But I think the jury's still out on this one. We'll have to see what further discoveries tell us about this particular piece of artwork. I can tell you, however, that this carving um, in a temple wall in Cambodia is not of a stegosaur. It looks kind of like a stegosaur at first glance, but you'll notice the head is really strange. There's no tail spikes on the tail. And what look like plates along the back are actually a plant or floral pattern that exists behind many of the other animals that are carved on the wall. So I don't think that's an example of a dinosaur. And I know that when we see these things, we want to see a dinosaur, but sometimes maybe that is confirmation bias and there's not actually a dinosaur there. So we need to be careful. The final one a lot of people ask me about is, is what about the Bible? What about these creatures behemoth and leviathan that are discussed in Job? Well, there's a lot going on here, okay? Um, and we don't have time to fully go through all of this, but let me say among conservative scholars, there's a lot of different positions, okay? There's kind of two big camps, right? People who think that these are real animals and people who think that they're some kind of apocalyptic creature, okay? I think that they are meant to describe real animals. For instance, with behemoth, God tells Job it's an animal he made alongside him to eat grass like an ox. Doesn't really sound like an apocalyptic creature. Additionally, with Leviathan, Job 41 is not the only place that it's mentioned. In Psalm 104, for instance, where creation is described um, and God is talked about caring for his creation in many different ways, from feeding the lions to making the streams go down to touching the mountains and they smoke, one of the things that's mentioned is Leviathan, which he made to play among the ships in the sea. That doesn't sound like an apocalyptic creature. So I think they are real creatures. Are they dinosaurs? Let's slow down a minute. I don't think the behemoth is an elephant or a hippo. I think that's a terrible argument. And I don't think Leviathan is some kind of normal crocodile. But that doesn't automatically make them a dinosaur. Behemoth could be a dinosaur. Leviathan could be a marine reptile. But there's lots of animals in the fossil record we still haven't even discovered yet. So we need to slow down for a minute. It's easy to jump automatically to, oh yeah, that's a dinosaur. But we should always be very cautious the way we talk about things. I like the advice that was given to me a long time ago and I share it with my students all the time. We need to be careful as scientists to explain to people what we know, what we think we know, and what we don't know, and to carefully delineate between those things. So behemoth and leviathan, they could be extinct reptiles that we find as fossils, but they also might not be. And so we need to be careful. But what we can know is that scripture is clear about the origin of all of creation, including dinosaurs, and as a result, we can be confident they did exist, and they did exist at the same time as people. Thank you for listening to the Center for Thinking Biblically podcast. To help support this ministry, please visit thinkbiblically.org forward slash donate. To learn more about the Masters University on campus and online undergraduate and graduate programs, visit masters.edu.